0: Turn with me to Luke chapter 18 and verse 31. Luke chapter 18 and verse 31. I remember when uh, my kids were little, sometimes I'd be talking to them about something, and uh, They would have a blank look on their face and Sherry would say, they don't understand that word. (laughs) And I would have to go back, okay, this is what I mean, you know. And there was kind of a a barrier there because they were so young, they just didn't understand what I was saying. And um, Jesus here in this scripture is saying some things that his disciples just don't get. Um, have, you ever, have you ever tried to communicate to somebody and they just don't get it? Isn't that frustrating? Um, but Jesus had an important message that he knew eventually they would get. Uh, and when they got it, it would change their lives. Uh, and so we need to listen uh, to what Jesus is saying to us because that message to these disciples is the same message that he gives to us today. Uh, and it's a very basic message that we're going to talk about tonight, but it's a message that has transforming power. Uh, I want to talk to you about Jesus' continuing work. He's predicting his death and his resurrection uh, and what he's going to do as they travel to Jerusalem. Uh, we just traveled this past week on on uh, fall break and One of the things we pray before we travel is, Lord, give us an uneventful trip as far as bad things happening. Don't you hate those trips where something bad happens and you got to kind of, you know, somebody gets sick or the car breaks down or something happens. And so we always pray, Lord, give us an uneventful trip. Well, Jesus is saying this is not going to be an uneventful trip. We're going to make a trip to Jerusalem and some really... Difficult things are going to happen. Uh, I'm going to be given over to the Gentiles. They're going to scourge me, beat me, spit upon me, and crucify me. And then I'm going to raise three days from then, uh, from the dead. Uh, This is what we're going to Jerusalem to do. Uh, I don't know if I'd want to sign up for that trip. Uh, But it was a trip that was in the mind and the heart of God. And the effects of that trip are still being felt today. Jesus continuing work. Look with me at uh, Luke 18 verse 31. Then he took the twelve aside and told them, Listen, we are going up to Jerusalem. Everything that is written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked, insulted, spit on. And after they flog him, they will kill him. And he will rise on the third day. They understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them. And they did not grasp what was said. Jesus' continuing work. What does Jesus do for us today? Well, the first thing I want you to see... Is that He is our hope. He is our hope. Uh, The latter part of verse 31 says, Everything that is written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. There's a scripture that says, For the joy that was set before Him, Jesus endured the cross. The prophecy of what was coming next was difficult, but Jesus was looking beyond that. He says everything, not just the crucifixion, but the resurrection is going to take place. The ascension is going to take place. My plan uh, of coming again will take place. Uh, All that has been said in the prophets about the Son of Man will come to pass. Jesus has a plan and a future uh, for us. He is our hope. Uh, The same God that prophesied that Jesus would be put to death, prophesied that he would be raised, prophesied that he would be exalted. Um, one of the amazing things to me is is the prophetic passages of Scripture and how they so specifically predict what was going to take place in Jesus' life. Um, I think of Psalm 22, which talks about him being pierced in his hands and feet before crucifixion had even been invented. I think of Psalm chapter 16, which says, He will not leave his body in the grave to suffer decay, but he'll raise him up. Uh, I think of the picture in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve had sinned and God killed. The first blood that was ever shed was, was shed by God when he killed the animals and made skins to cover over their nakedness and to cover over the effects of their sin. You see... From Genesis to Revelation, there is a theme of Scripture. There has to be a sacrifice for sin. Uh, Someone would have to come to satisfy the justice of God, the wrath of God, and to bring about God's plan of restoration, and that someone was Jesus Christ. I want you to just keep your thumb there. If you will, flip with me to Isaiah chapter 52. I want to just read some of these scriptures. And we're going to kind of flip back and forth between these scriptures. Isaiah 52 and verse 13. I love that the power of this scripture is that it so specifically describes what happened to Jesus. Um, liberal theologians a few years back said that this had to have been written after Jesus uh, was on this earth because of all the specific things that were written. But then the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. And they had a scroll. One of the scrolls called the Great Isaiah Scroll is dated by several different dating methods to about 200 B.C. 200 years before the time of Christ. Uh, These words are recorded on a manuscript, you can go to Israel today and see it in the Shrine of the Book. It's it's laid out, it's stretched out uh, there, and uh, you can look at, you can Google it on the internet. You can actually see pictures of the scroll uh, that was written 200 years before Christ. Just a fascinating thing. Isn't it is amazing how God shows His supernatural power. Something that. People can't even fathom. They say, well, it had to be something that came later. And then God says, okay, I'm going to let somebody dig something up and show that, yes, it was a supernaturally fulfilled scripture. So look with me at Isaiah 52, verse 13. He says, see, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and greatly Exalted. That's God's plan. Just as many were appalled at you. His appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a man. By the way, that's how you looked when you got scourged with a cat of nine tails whip. His form did not resemble a human being. So he will sprinkle many nations. But that's not the end of the story. Kings will shut their mouths because of him. For they will see what they had had not been told them, and they will understand what they had not heard. Who has believed what we have heard, and who has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? He grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But here's the reality. He was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. We all like sheep went astray. We've all turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. Verse 8. The second part of verse 8 says. He was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck down because of my people's rebellion. They made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man at his death. Although he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a restitution offering, he will see his seed. He will prolong his days, and by his hand the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. The death is not the last statement. He will see it out of his anguish, and he will be satisfied with his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion. He will receive the mighty as a spoil. Why? Because he submitted himself to death. And was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many, and interceded for the rebels. I want you to know something that is that is just an amazing prophecy of God uh, fulfilled so specifically in the life of Jesus Christ. But you see, the death and the substitution for our sin wasn't the last story. He says, after this, he will see. After this, he will receive. After this, all these things are going to take place. And and as Isaiah 52 says, he will be highly exalted, raised up, and highly exalted at the Father's right hand. You see, Calvary wasn't the end of the story. Jesus rose from the dead, and because he raised from the dead, he is our hope. One day, he's going to come again, and he's going to come with a loud shout. And the dead in Christ are gonna rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet him in the air. He is our hope. The same God that promised the crucifixion and the resurrection has promised Jesus coming. He is our hope. As Jesus shared these words with the disciples, they didn't get it. They they didn't put the connect the dots. They didn't figure it out, that, that how the prophecies connected to Jesus and how all these things would take place. But one day they would understand it. And as they saw the wisdom of God carried out in human history and the power of God displayed in human history, they'd say, wow, isn't God amazing? And that same God has promised us other things in the future. He is our hope. Isn't it amazing? The Word of God cannot fail. Jesus is our hope. Secondly, Jesus is our healing. It says in verse 32 of Luke 18, For he will be handed over to the Gentiles. Now, in Greek, the word to can mean for. He will be handed over for the Gentiles. Now, I know he's going to be handed over to the Gentiles. But I think there's... There's something a little deeper going on here. Remember what Jesus prayed on the, on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Remember what we just read in Isaiah 53? But he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. Kings will bow down before him. You see, it's not just the Jewish people that Jesus died for. He died for us. Uh, the Gentiles will be blessed. And so, he, yes, he was turned over to the Gentiles. He was given to the Romans, and, and they put him to death and all that. But he was also being given over for them. The very people that drove the nails into Jesus' hands and feet were the people that Jesus died to save. The Roman soldier said, "Surely this was the Son of God." I, I kind of wonder if he ended up giving his heart to Jesus. You see, <clears throat> Jesus is our healing. We just read in Isaiah fifty three. Look, look, let's flip back there. Flip back there. I told you we'd flip back and forth a little bit. Uh, the word sickness can can be in verse three of Isaiah fifty three can refer to wounds. It can refer to sickness. Uh, But look at verse 4, it says, yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains. Look at verse 5, and we are healed by his wounds. There is power in the cross. (laughs) One of the amazing things to me, we've seen God heal people as we've prayed, we've seen uh, things that it's a miracle that, that God, you I see Betty Walker every Sunday. That's a miracle. She wasn't supposed to be here. The doctors weren't planning on it, but God had another idea. We've seen God heal and answer to prayer, but you, that is not the greatest work of healing that God does. When somebody comes to faith in Jesus Christ, they are made a new creation. Um, one of the things I love about Jesus is you, is you see what He's doing in the Gospels. You see Him ministering to people, and um, we're talking in discipleship training about uh, the feeding of the five thousand. Jesus has gone to to grieve John the John the Baptist's death, and the people follow Him around the lake. He's trying to get off by Himself; they follow Him. But the Bible says Jesus had compassion on them, and He healed their sickness, and He He ministered to them, and and then He fed them. <laughs> um, But Jesus was always reaching out to people's needs. He always had compassion. And and people that really others weren't concerned about, the the children that would come to him uh, to be blessed, the disciples said, don't don't bring them to Jesus. Don't bother Jesus. Jesus said, let them come. Uh, The blind man that was by the side of the road was crying out, Jesus, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. And the disciples said, shut up. He hasn't got time for you but he yelled even louder. He must have been determined. <laughs> and Jesus finally turns around and he reaches out to him and he heals him. You see this over and over and over again in the Gospels. You see Jesus caring about the hurts of people. He is our healer. And, and the Gentiles that he was given over for <laughs> needed the healing touch of his hand. And so he offered his hands for nails. He offered his feet for nails because he wanted to use those hands to reach out and heal. Not just the outward physical body, but he wanted to heal the souls of human beings. We talked about this morning about the fact how God heals our emotions through the power of of his resurrection, the power of his cross. And uh, how, how he, he comes to us in our, our desperate times. Paul says, I, I, I despaired even of life. And he says, I found that there's a God that raises the dead. He's our healer. He heals us emotionally. He heals us spiritually. Have you ever been at a, at a place spiritually where uh, you just couldn't seem to, to break free? Uh, maybe you're struggling with a sin or maybe maybe it's just an area you just weren't trusting god the way you should and it was a struggle that went on in your life and and you you finally just brought it to jesus and you said lord here i am i'm a mess i don't know what to do with this uh will you please deal with me and change me and, and touch me in some way and help me to break through this and and god just reaches down his hand and he he ministers to our soul and sometimes it may be a process sometimes it may be instantaneous but but God heals us. Isn't that great? You don't have to to worry about being stuck because we have a God who's in the business of unsticking us. (laughs) He heals us. He was given over for the nations. The Bible says in Isaiah 53 that he, he saw. And and people, he, he saw, from his death, he saw, and it doesn't really go into detail about it, but I think he saw you and he saw me. And every person who would ever be saved over the whole world, part of the joy, I think, was the fact that He knew what was going to come from what he did. Uh, Isaiah 53 says it pleased God to crush him. He says, my righteous servant will justify many. What's he talking about? In God's eternal plan... Before the creation of the world, it was always God's plan that Jesus would come to die. And that his death would forever change things. And through his death, healing, spiritual healing, salvation would come to the world. Uh, Emotional healing. uh, Community healing. About a year ago, I I was listening to the radio, just a fascinating story about this couple who had gone over to this foreign country, and they had gone down this street where there was all these places where there was child prostitution, this dark, dark place and wicked place. And God put it on their heart to start a ministry right there and to try to reach the people who were broken and hurt through the, the wickedness that was taking place there. And over a period of, of several years, God completely cleaned that place up. And every single one of those places shut down. And, and, the, and the, a lot of these children that had been used were, were, uh, were ministered to in, some, in orphanages and so forth. And, and God just did a profound work in their lives. You see, there is power In the cross, Jesus can change countries. He can change cities. He can change churches. There's healing. (laughs) By His stripes, we are healed. He was handed over for us. Jesus' continuing work, He is our hope. He is our healing. He is our substitute. He will be mocked, insulted, spit upon. Can you imagine our precious Savior, the one who gives us every breath, the one who created the stars and holds all of it together by His power, submitting Himself to that kind of treatment? But He did. He was scourged. And he was crucified. Now, Jesus doesn't go into the specifics of this. But he's told them, hey, the prophets wrote about this. I was thinking about the Garden of Gethsemane as I, as we were singing that song. Uh, for me, it was in the garden. Uh, and, and I was thinking... The word Gethsemane means olive press. They would take these olives and they would crush them. And the, the fluid would come out of those olives. And uh, Jesus was being crushed by the weight of what lay before him as he prayed in the garden. He, by the way, they made the anointing oil out of that olive that they crushed. It was a picture of Christ crushed by the wrath of God for us. Jesus sweat great sweat drops of blood as he agonized in prayer and said, Father, if it be possible. The cross was awful. Not just because of the the spikes and 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 all of that, that stuff. The cross was awful because a holy, spotless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, had all the wicked, vile, unholy things placed upon him. And the fury of a holy God was poured out upon him in all its fullness. We can't even comprehend it. Only the infinite Son of God could have stood it. But he took it all upon himself. And he said, It is finished. The price was paid. He is our substitute. Isaiah 53 says, verse 5, He was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was on Him, and we are healed by His wounds. The Lord has punished Him, verse 6 says, for the iniquity of us all. Look at verse 10 of Isaiah 53 says this. Yeah, it was the Lord's will uh, to crush him severely when you make him a restitution offering or a peace offering. You know what a restitution offering is? Peace offering is. You had your burnt offering and, and all of those the, the regular offerings that were offerings of, of, of the sacrifice and so forth and uh, were pictures of, of uh, different things, the wrath of God and so forth. but but the the restitution offering was an offering that was focused upon fellowship. When you brought a restitution offering to God, part of that was kept aside. And you, you had a, a fellowship meal with your family, and it was a picture of a fellowship with God. And as you ate those things, it was a time of communion with God. And you see, Jesus, when, when he went to the cross, the Bible says that our sin separates us from God. There was a, there was a wall of separation that could not be penetrated. All the veils in the tabernacle were a picture of this. The veil in the temple was a picture of this. The separation that comes because of our sin. I'm unholy. God is holy. I'm sinful. God is pure. On the cross, when Jesus took our sin, he satisfied the justice of God. And the Bible says the veil was ripped in two at the temple. What was God saying? He's saying, hey, now there's access. He is the restitution offering. He is the one that makes it possible for me to have a relationship with Almighty God. I can come boldly to the throne because of what Jesus has done. He is our substitute. He's our substitute not just in taking our penalty, but He's our substitute in living the righteous life we could not live. My righteous servant will justify many. What does that mean? That means the righteousness of Christ is credited to me. I'm acquitted of all my sin. And the very righteousness of Jesus becomes mine as a possession. Not that I'm perfect living that righteousness out, but God gives it to me as a gift. I am justified. I'm given the righteousness of Christ. It's pictured in Zechariah chapter 3 when... Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, stands before God, and Satan is accusing him, and he says, look at this high priest clothed in filthy robes. God, he's not fit to stand before your presence. And the angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ, comes and says, let me take off that filthy garment for you, and I'll give you a beautiful shining robe of righteousness. He says, now he's fit to stand before you, Father. That's what Jesus did when he became our restitution offering. He put the beautiful robe of his perfect, spotless righteousness upon us. And he said, now, you don't have to fear to come into my Father's presence. You come boldly. He is our substitute. Jesus' continuing work, our hope, our healing, our substitute, our resurrection. He will rise on the third day. Luke 18, 33 says. If you flip back to Isaiah fifty-three, or fifty-two go back to fifty-two thirteen. See my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and greatly exalted, just as many were appalled at you. What's he saying? After the suffering of the crucifixion, Jesus would be raised up. But not only would he be raised up, but he would be exalted. The Bible says God has exalted him to the right hand of God. And the Bible says that you and I are seated with him in heavenly places, we have that exalted position. Because Jesus was raised up, we're raised up. Because Jesus is exalted and we're in Christ, we are exalted. See, Jesus didn't just take care of our sin debt. Jesus said, listen, I want you to come in and enjoy all the fullness of God's blessing in a relationship with me, kind of a down payment until the veil's taken away, but I want you to enjoy all all of this until I come back, and then you really get to enjoy it. (laughs) That's what Jesus did for us. He is our resurrection. I love the story of of, uh, Lazarus, you know, and Lazarus has died, and Jesus has come, and uh, he's having a discussion with Martha, and he says, look, uh, your brother will rise again. Well, she says, yeah, I know who arrives in the last day. Jesus says, wait, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he who believes in me will live and never die. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. then he proved it. He went over and said, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out. One day, Jesus is going to come back, and we will be the full beneficiaries of a glorious resurrection, a heavenly body, a new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, forever and ever. He is our resurrection. These little words, these few verses of Scripture that Jesus said to the disciples, and they were kind of scratching their heads, saying, "We, We don't know what you're talking about. You know, what's a prophet's... What? Uh... Jesus was giving them the skeleton outline of God's plan. He says, "Listen. What we're about to do when we go to Jerusalem will change the world forever." That's why he says, "Behold." Yeah, I don't know if you if you maybe missed that. Oh, I I flipped my page and did leave my marker in there. But it says at the beginning of the scripture in Luke it says uh, Jesus pulls them aside and he says, Behold or low, or, you know, however your translation translates it. The, but the word behold means take notice of this. Pay attention to this. Don't miss this. What we're about to go do, you're going to be an observer, but what I'm about to go do is going to change your life and change the world forever. they will never be the same. The song, I've Just Seen Jesus, this, the verse goes like this. It, we, we knew he was dead. It is finished, he said, and we watched as his life ebbed away. And then Mary's at the tomb, and she said, uh, I know how you feel. As she talks to the disciples, his death was so real, but please listen and hear what I say. I've just seen Jesus. I'll never be the same again. That's the message of the gospel. And it's not a message about 2,000 years ago, just about 2,000 years ago. It is history. But it's a message about a living God and a living Christ who still changes lives today. This is what Jesus does for us today. What an amazing thing. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Uh, Help us respond to it as you call us to respond. Help us not to be satisfied, Father, with uh, just going through the motions of our Christianity because... We have resurrection power. And you've paid the price for us. Help us live for you. And Father, if there's someone here that doesn't know Christ, I pray that they would experience the power of your cross and the power of your resurrection today. But I pray for Christians gathered here as well, Lord. Help us to experience the power of your cross and the power of your resurrection. Do your work of healing in us, God. Help us to take courage from your hope.